Welcome to EAZO Podcasts. Please welcome Dr. Marina Puchinska, who will be speaking with us about the basics of prostate cancer pathology. Please take a minute to introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Marina Puchinska, and I'm an oncologist from Min City Clinical Oncologic Center in Minsk, Belarus. I was also qualified as a pathologist and I'm doing my PhD in prostate cancer pathology. I really like combining knowledge from both those fields and uh, so I would like to tell you a bit about some basic principles in prostate pathology, not digging deep into diagnostic criteria or differential diagnosis issues, but what a real clinician should know about prostate cancer pathology and how to interpret the pathology report data. Can you explain what the Gleason grading system is, as well as the new International Society of Urologic Pathologists grading groups? Prostate cancer pathology grading is made according to a special system called Gleason grading. It is applied only to prostatic adenocarcinoma and not other histologies. Gleason grading system was first introduced by Gleason in 1966 and was modified several times afterwards. It is based solely on architectural characteristics of the tumor and not on cytologic features. The main principle is to assign separate glycine grades to two patterns of prostate cancer growth and to get glycine score by summarizing them. Glycine grade varied originally from 1 to 5, that is from most well to most poorly differentiated. As different prostate cancer growth patterns are often present in one case, the most frequent and second frequent patterns of glycine grades are summarized to get total glycine score. That could vary from 2 to 10. However, later studies showed that what was thought to be glycine grade 1 2 cancers was often adenosis or other non malignant glands, and differential diagnosis was very challenging. So nowadays, glycine grades 1 and 2 are not used, and grading begins from glycine grade 3. Glycine grade 3 uh, is assigned to well formed, well circumscribed glands with infiltrative growth and generally smaller than normal glands. Grade 4 is assigned to fused or poorly formed irregular glands and to cribriform growth pattern. If solid sheets of cancer cells with or without comedy necrosis or separate cancer cells are seen, uh, that is grade 5. As grade 3 has become the lowest one, so the lowest possible glycine score is now 6 and the highest 10. At the same time, glycine score 6 cancers have wonderful prognosis and may be managed by active surveillance. To diminish confusion and anxiety, uh, mostly in patients thinking that 6 may be a high glycine score and not the lowest one, and to introduce a grading system with better prognostic value, ISOP, International Society for Urologic Pathology, introduced a new five-tier grading system with ISOP grading groups, GGs, where GG1 corresponds to glycine score 3 plus 3, 6, GG2 to glycine score 3 plus 4, grading group 3 to 4 plus 3, GG4, to 4 plus 4, 4 plus 5, and 5 plus 4, and grading group 5 to 5 plus 5 grading by Gleason. Nowadays, it is recommended that both Gleason score and ISOP grading group should be reported. Though two most prevalent patterns were included in Gleason score, in some cases also tertiary or minor pattern can be also be present. In case it is less differentiated, it may influence the prognosis. So, according to ISAP 2019 Consensus Conference on Grading of Prostatic Carcinoma, minor pattern, if present in more than 5% of tumor, should be included into final glycine score for radical prostatectomy, 
and if present in less than 5%, should be commented on in the report. And what are the requirements for prostate biopsy reporting, including the use of IHC? First of all, let me emphasize some points regarding material submission to the pathology lab. For the correct and clinically relevant pathologic diagnosis, all the submitted cores should be properly marked. If systematic biopsies performed, each core should be placed into a separate container and its location clearly stated. For touched biopsies, all cores from one suspicious MRI lesion may be submitted in one container. Of course, adequate like tanning amount of neutral buffet formalin or other fixative should be used. It is of utmost importance that right pre-analytical preparation of biopsy specimens is a prerequisite for the correct and clinically meaningful pathologic diagnosis. According to the College of American Pathologists reporting guidelines for needle biopsies, the following parameters should be reported. The most important information is, of course, presence of cancer and its grade. For systematic biopsies, Gleason score is reported separately for each core where cancer is present. Regarding the global score for the case, there are still some controversies as whether or not it should be stated. At the 2019 ISAP conference, there was no consensus on that question. Of note, Gleason score in biopsy is not always the same as in radical prostatectomy, and upgrading upon surgery was reported in 44-57% of cases. And even in modern era, in a large UK series of more than 17,000 cases, discrepancy in Gleason score were reported in 40% of cases, with upgrading in 25 and downgrading in 15, and changes were most prevalent in low-risk cancers, that is most clinically significant group. The amount of the tumor in the biopsy can be reported in several ways. The number of positive cores out of the total number of submitted cores together with laterality and location of positive cores are important. For each positive core, percentage of the core occupied by cancer and or total linear extension of cancer in millimeters is stated. Logically, the higher the volume of tumor in the cores, the bigger tumor volume will be found on radical prostatectomy or upon visualization. If cancer is present in the center of the core or at the edge, that should be noted, as the latter situation means tumor may be bigger. If there are separate fossa of cancer within the same core, that is advised to be reported, though there are still controversies on whether or not include skip benign areas into the total estimation of tumor lens. If two fossae are at the opposite sides of the core, they may even represent two different tumors within the prostate. Invasion of periprostatic fat, seminicular vesicles or ejaculatory ducts is rarely seen in biopsies, but have a negative prognostic impact. Lymphovascular or perineural invasion should also be reported, if present. But as you can imagine, in some cases diagnosis based on tiny core may be really challenging, and in such cases immunohistochemistry is applied. The three most widely used markers are P63 and high molecular weight cytokeratin for basal cells, which are absent in cancer glands, and a marker, alpha-misoacyl coenzyme A racemase, which marks cancer cells. They facilitate the right diagnosis in a vast majority of cases. And can you explain a little bit about the requirements for prostatectomy reporting? When analyzing radical prostatectomy specimen, all removed tissues should be studied. To better assess the surgical margin, the surface is usually inked often into different colors on the right and left. Several characteristics of the tumor important for further patient management should be reported. First of all, Gleason score and eyes upgrading group. The general rules are the same as for biopsies. Noteworthy, in prostate, cancers can often be multifocal with different Gleason scores in them. 
The big, high-grade nodule is often defined as index tumor and generally it drives the prognosis. However, integral glycine score for the whole case is enough to be reported. The arbitrary threshold of 5% is usually used to include glycine grade into a final glycine score. But in some cases more than two patterns may be present and minor or tertiary pattern can be even more aggressive. In such case, tertiary pattern can be included in the final glycine score if present in more than 5% of cancer. If it constitutes VAS, then glycine score is composed of two most prevalent patterns, but the presence of a VAS differentiated minor pattern should be noted. Second, tumor spread, that is D category. PT3A is defined by extraprostatic extension, that means presence of cancer cells outside the prostate, usually in periprostatic fat removed during surgery. Extraprostatic extension is a negative prognostic marker and may warn postoperative radiotherapy. It should be noted whether uh, extraprostatic extension is focal or extensive, though uniform criteria for that are lacking. Invasion of semnovesicles defines PT3B cancer. Third, surgical margins status. It is described for blood and neck and urethra margins as presence of tumor cells within separately marked margins. Besides, positive margin is stated when cancer glands touch the inked surface of the prostate. In this case, extent of the positive margin often in millimeters and the highest glycine score at the margin should also be stated. Next, regional lymph nodes status. Pelvic lymphodissection is often performed during radical prostatectomy, though its extent, I mean areas of removed lymph nodes, may vary according to clinical situation and preoperative imaging data. All the nodes are carefully analyzed and presence of tumor is reported separately for different areas, though the number of positive nodes and laterality don't influence PN category. In the tumor uh, spreads beyond a lymph node into fat or vascular invasion is present, it should also be reported. And also some important histologic findings like introductal carcinoma cribriform structures, perineural or vascular invasion should also be mentioned in the report if they are found. Can you tell us which uh, pathology findings and emerging parameters are important for clinical decisions? As for now, the two most important histological findings that should be separately commented on in the report are cribriform pattern and introductal carcinoma. Cribriform growth pattern is assigned glycine grade 4. However, numerous recent works have shown that its presence has a worse prognostic significance uh, for biochemical recurrence-free, metastasis-free and cancer-specific survival than other types of glycine grade 4 patterns, both in biopsies and radical prostatectomies. Biologically, this can be explained by more frequent loss of P10 and P27 in cribriform cancer. Even inclusion of cribriform growth into ERSPC risk calculator improved the prediction of clinically significant cancer. Based on that, the ISAP 2019 consensus conference recommended to include a comment on the presence of Kriber's pattern and its negative prognostic value in pathology reports. Another important finding is introductal carcinoma. That means cancer spread along the lamina of pre-existing prostatic ducts. Four main growth patterns of IDC are solid, often with common necrosis, dense cribriform, loose cribriform, and papillary. The main defining feature is the presence of basal cells in the affected ducts. IDC also has a negative prognostic impact and is often associated with high-grade invasive cancer. Interestingly, applying EHC to stain basal cells revealed that in many cases uh, what was thought to be cribriform or solid invasive prostate cancer was in fact introductal carcinoma. 
Also, from a clinician view, the NCCN guidelines recommend that if IDC is present in biopsy, this may warrant genetic testing for BRCA1 and 2 genes in patients. As more data on IDC emerged, the question on whether to include it in the global glycine score was rising. As for now, it is solved as follows. If IDC is present in a biopsy without invasive cancer, it is not graded, but should be reported with a continent's strong association with high-grade invasive cancer. Many urologists believe that presence of IDC makes a patient not a candidate for active surveillance, irrespective of other findings. If IDC is present alongside invasive cancer, it should be included into the glycine score and the total amount of glycine grade 4 cancer, but with additional comment on its negative prognostic impact. And our final question today is, um, we were wondering if you could uh, explain to us what premalignant lesions are and what is their clinical significance. By now, the only recognized precursor lesion for prostate cancer is high-grade PIN, prostatic intraepithelial neoplasia. Adenosis and proliferative inflammatory atrophy didn't prove to be real prostate cancer precursors. Histologically, PIN is characterized by the cytological atypia that is enlarged nuclei, often with nuclei, that is seen alongside architecturally benign prostatic arsene with branching and stroma between them. It was first described as a possible precursor in 1960s by McNeil et colleagues and more precisely characterized in 1986. It can be found in about 8% of men in the third decade with easily increasing with age up to about two-thirds in the eighth decade in autopsy series. As of prostate cancer, frequency of PIN in African Americans is higher. PIN is divided into low and high-grade based on cytological features and four patterns of high-grade PIN are recognized – fat, tufted, cribriform and micropapillary. The feature that distinguishes PIN from invasive prostate cancer is the preserved, at least partially, basal cell layer. However, sometimes it may be challenging to distinguish, so immunohistochemistry for basal cells need to be used. A marker can be positive in both cancer and PIN, so it can't be used for differential diagnosis. Also, PIN should be differentiated from benign changes, like clear cell cribriform hyperplasia, basal cell hyperplasia and central zone histology. So, how do we know that PIN is a really prostate cancer precursor? First of all, temporarily. It precedes prostate cancer development by about 10 years. Again, in prostates with prostate cancer, frequency and amount of PIN foci is much higher than in prostates without prostate cancer. Sometimes even budding of prostate cancer glands from PIN glands may be seen on pathology slides. Molecularly, losses of chromosome 8P, 10Q, 16q, 18q, and gates of 8q, 7, 10, 12, and y are seen. Aneuploidy, increased telomerase activity, GSTP1 hypermethylation, overexpression of P16, P53, B cell 2, MIG, a marker, and decreased expression of uh, NKX 3.1 and P27 are found both in PIN and in prostate cancer. Interestingly, TMPRSS2 ARC fusion is detected in about 20% of PIN compared to 50% in prostate cancer. From a clinical point of view, PIN can be found in up to quarter of biopsy cases in some series, and the risk of cancer after this finding was shown to be from 20 to 57% in different series. Clinical and laboratory parameters should also be taken into account to decide which patients have higher risk of prostate cancer following PIN diagnosis. But it is usually recommended that if PIN is present in three or more cores, 
rebiopsy should be undertaken within one year. If smaller typical glands are seen adjacent to pin foci, and that is called pinotip, the risk of finding cancer is even higher, so the rebiopsy should be taken into 3 to 6 months from the primary biopsy. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing this very important information about this issue. Thanks for listening and see you soon on the EASO website.